You might, uh, when you're heading out, you might check out the nature table. Last week was the first day of spring, and so kids went around and looked at it and found all kinds of nifty things. And so they put it on the table up there. Uh, today we finish our series with the parables. Next week we're going to pick up a series where we're going to look at Jesus' garden prayer, the prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. So we're just going to follow that through from next week through Easter. And um, really good stuff. Today, we're going to finish up with a series we've been into for quite a while um, involved Jesus' parables. He's speaking to crowds, and many are kind of wondering um, if the kingdom of heaven has arrived, and that's what Jesus said, now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If it has arrived, why has it not been more victorious and triumphant? Why hasn't it been more overtly successful. The problem is they expected that God's kingdom would come by means of a dramatic act of judgment that would divide people into two clear groups. There will be the sons of light and the sons of darkness. However, with the coming of Jesus, kind of everything kind of seemed to kind of go on as it had been going on. There was no war that wiped out the wicked no deliverance suddenly for the righteous. Some people believed in practice what Jesus taught, and others didn't, and nothing happened to them. Um, dealing with these kind of thoughts, Jesus told a parable, and let's follow it. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good, weed and good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus told parables so that he could be both clear and unclear at the same time. It's a message you could understand the story and not quite get what Jesus was saying. There's a couple of parables that Jesus is asked, could you explain this to us? And this is one of them. And so what he does, he kind of gives us a behind the scenes understanding of what he was communicating via this parable. It says, then he left the crowd and went into the house with his disciples. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. 
as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We learned some things about angels. I'm not sure what you think of when you think of angels. You know, you think of kind of cherubs and wings. and um, Angels, according to Jesus, are harvesters. They're harvesters. Their responsibility will be to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. The role of angels rises and falls in the Bible. Before Jesus arrives, the role of angels is a little bit greater. When Jesus comes, the role of angels declines somewhat. Um, angels, a couple things about angels. Angels are God's messengers or heralds. They say what God tells them to say. A herald is one who's given a specific message and they proclaim it, you know, and they usually don't add much to it. They don't take much from it. They say exactly what they've been given to say. It's a little bit different from an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who needs to know the king pretty well in order to not just go from a script, but to be able to kind of reflect what the king wants. But heralds are a little bit different. They just say what they've been given to say. They need a good, strong voice, and they need a good memory. Um, that's what angels are like. Angels are God's messengers. They represent the heavenly world. And when angels come, it's like the supernatural world piercing the natural world. Another thing about angels, they are unembodied spirit beings. You and I, we are embodied spirit beings. We are spirit beings that exist in a body. Angels are different. They are unembodied spirit beings. They don't live in a body. Um, this is part of their strength. Now, you and I, because we are physical beings and spirit beings, these operating systems don't always go in the same direction. Our physical desires might go in this direction. Our spiritual desires go in this direction. We are somewhat like the, in the Wizard of Oz, the scarecrow. You know, which way? Well, this way. And this is kind of what we're like. Angels are not like that. Angels are this way. They don't have two natures that they have to deal with. They have one. And that's part of their strength and part of their weakness. They're not capable of compassion because they are not embodied spirit beings like you and I are. They don't understand conflictedness and disparate, uneven desires. You think about Jesus, was Jesus more like an angel or more like us? What would you say? What's the answer to that question? Was Jesus 
an unembodied spirit being or an embodied spirit being? And the answer is a body. He's, he was somebody who had a body. And remember, when he went up to heaven, did he go in a body or not in a body? He went in a body. Remember what happened at the resurrection? The cloths were there, but his body was gone. And then that's what Jesus exists as now. Angels make good servants back to them. They do what they're told to do. They don't have rival natures that get them mixed up. They're really good soldiers. Uh, when angels appear in the Bible, kind of it, it, very often people die. They're pretty militant, kind of like God's soldiers. They make really good lawyers. Angels are really good lawyers. We learn a couple things about them. It says the law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. So when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God, apparently angels were involved in that transaction. Um, we I'm sorry, I wanted to look at that second verse. It says, Moses was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. The law that was put into effect through angels. I guess if you look in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, it doesn't say that angels spoke. It says the Lord spoke. So was it the Lord or was it an angel? Is there a conflict? Not really. There's a summit coming up. Let's say President Biden wasn't able to go and he dispatched the Secretary of State or somebody in his, um, one of his leaders. Now, when that individual, so Biden can't go, when that individual goes to that summit, now Biden is going to go to the summit, but let's say he couldn't. The individual who goes is going in the name of the president. What he says is what the president says. He represents him. He's not a herald. He won't just read a speech. He will represent the president's desires because he will have known the president well enough to do so. Um, that is what... Um, that is maybe what happens. God dispatches angels on Mount Sinai to reflect him. But when God wanted to be really clear about what he wanted, what his will was, he didn't send an angel. He sent his son. And Jesus reveals God in a way that angels can't reveal God. He is well, he reveals the Father's face, and he reveals what God likes, what God doesn't like. So if you want to know about God from the Bible, what you do is you look at what Jesus said, and look what Jesus did. What did God, what is God like? Well, what did Jesus like? Because Jesus reveals God clearly. What did, what does God not like? Well, did Jesus not like this? So Jesus lets us know what God is like. Um, angels will function as judges. They will remove that which won't make it into the barn. Now, when, you, when you're doing harvest, what happens? You gather up the crops, and the stuff that goes into the barn is the stuff you're going to save. Now, there might be stuff that's not going to end up in the barn. And 
with respect to people. Those things, people, not just people, but things that aren't going to make it into heaven. Angels are responsible to gather those things up, things that aren't going to make it. They gather those things up and they take them out of the way. Once angels take these things out of the way, then what's remain, what remains will end up living forever. That seems to be what it says. They will weed out of the kingdom everything. You know that you're in trouble? You're not in trouble when somebody looks at their watch. No, that's kind of bad. It's when they tap on it. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, it says that uh, angels will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. The, uh, the, the word for causes sin, it's actually an image of a trap. If you think of what a trap is, so if you want to, um, well, how does the trap work? You know, in that day, the cause of sin was an image of, like, if you have a box here, right? Say if there's a box, that's a trap. And you know the way a trap works. You have to have some kind of stick thing that holds the trap up, and there's something inside the trap that you want, whatever you want to catch, to get. So what ends up happening, the whatever you want to catch goes into this thing because there's something good, and then you spring the trap, and then the, the thing, boom, and that's the picture of something that causes sin. So here's the image. The image of that which causes sin is something that draws you. Something that looks really good. And so you go into it and you get into it. And what ends up happening, causes sin, is when you go into that thing and you're trapped in the thing. Now, you didn't go to get trapped. You go to get the thing, but that's the way a trap works. Um, what is the trap? A little bit surprising, but not. It says, Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness. A law of righteousness is a way to try to become righteous. And there's two ways we'll see to try to become righteous. One is a faith way. One is a law way, and we'll try to understand the difference between that. It says that Israel pursued righteousness, not as if it was a faith road, but as if it was a law road. And it says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Christ is the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. It describes a trap and a stumbling stone. So here's the deal. Let's say you are convinced that the law road will get you to where you want to go. And you're walking on the law road. What it says, it's kind of like a trap, but it's also something that if you try to get to God on the, I'm going to do what he says and not do what he doesn't say, what's going to happen, you are going to stumble and you're not going to get there. There is something placed on that road that will not allow you to arrive. That's what it seems to be indicating. Now, that's on the righteousness that is by law road. And um, that's, the, that's what the, what the bait, trap is baited with then is law, it seems. The, tra the trap is baited with what appeals to the religious, not the unreligious. And when you look at what people want to get to, they want to get to God. 
We might talk to people and say, no, nah, I really don't want to get to God. Some guy said once, there's times that I wonder, there's times that I think, excuse me, that I don't think about heaven very much. But other times I, I realize that it's what I've always wanted. And there is some level to which we're looking for the place where we belong, where things last, where people don't die, where people don't wage war against other people, where things stay permanent, where sickness doesn't happen, where sadness doesn't interrupt. We've been looking for that, and that's kind of what, that's the end game. That's um, what we want, and there's two roads there. But what we're looking for is to get to that place where we're going to be able to be with God. Um, there are two roads that advertise heaven straight ahead. Two roads. One road that is the righteousness by faith road. Now, here's what's going to happen on this road. God's commitments are posted on this road. The righteousness that is by faith road. God's commitments are posted. And as you go on that road, you are drawn to God's commitments. Those are the things that are posted. And as you view and see these commitments, you pursue and that road ends up connecting with God. That's the righteousness that is by faith road. There's another road, the righteousness that is by law road. Now, God's commitments aren't posted on this road. God's commandments are. And what this road says, find God here. And if you start on that path, you never get to your destination. It's a trap Something it's what I want to get to God, but then it it's not a way you get to Him. It's it's something you stumble over. It doesn't lead to God. Israel pursued a law of righteousness and didn't arrive at it. Um, how do people get trapped? How do people do? You, do traps? set themselves? No, somebody has to set a trap. That's why we have to talk about the trappers. Who are the trappers? Now we get back to the, we get back to the parable. Talk about the trappers. The one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. In the parable of the sower and the seed, do you remember that one? The guy sows seed, the seed is the message. But in this parable, the seed isn't the message, the seed is messengers. It's a little bit different, a little bit different. The seed is messengers. There's good seed, messengers that accurately reflect what God is saying, and there are messengers that don't. They're not good seed. They don't reflect the message that God is sending. Both of these are present in the kingdom. And that's part of the reason things can become so confusing. 
Um, the sons of the kingdom are good seed. The messengers and sons of the evil one are the bad seed. They're false messengers. Sons designate spokespersons. So again, it's talking about those who speak for God. The problem is, and it's not, and we can't really determine easily, which there are those on the earth claiming to speak for God that speak for him. And there's those who claim to speak for God that don't speak for him, that mislead. And what we have to deal with is the fact that God purposes that both of these voices exist. Now, you might say, why? This parable indicates that, well, it's not easy to separate one from the other. The way it is with weeds and wheat, the weeds, Darnell, Darnell, they look a lot like wheat. In fact, they, they, you can't pull because sometimes if you're trying to weed out this darnel, that you get weed, wheat at the same time. So the people that in the parable, they say, hey, geez, wait a minute, there's, there's bad seed here. We should pull them up. And the, what the master says, you can't do that. Can't do that. Because if you pull up the weed, you also pull up the wheat. That's the way it is in this world, isn't it? Good and evil coexist. Can we extricate evil from this world? No. The roots of evil and the roots of good, they're kind of tied up together. That we can't do it now. We can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it in the world. We can't do it with spokespersons. We can't do it with people. There are different kinds of influences that exist. What this parable teaches is that this will grow up together. At some point, there will be a judgment. And at that point, the judgment will have two phases. Angels will be dispatched. And you're going to want to hope at the judgment, you don't see an angel. They are lawyers. They're not merciful. And their judgment will not be merciful. They will find those who are on the righteousness by faith, by law road. And when you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, mm -mm -mm, you didn't keep every one of the commandments perfectly. And because you didn't, you're not going to get to your destination. And they're going to gather up out of the kingdom everybody that doesn't make it. Nobody who is on the righteousness by law road is going to make it. No one on the righteousness by law road is going to make it to the destination. You hit a T intersection and you either, well, it's just, no, make it. You can only make it by the righteousness by faith road. And once the angels take out righteousness by law individuals, then what's going to be left is righteousness by faith people. I tell you what, that's the road you're walking. Angels aren't going to be your judge. In fact, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to get judged. Because your ability to be there is not dependent on what you do and don't do. It's dependent on what Jesus did. Therefore, if you're putting your trust in what God did for you when he sent his son, your acceptance is not a pending decision. It's a foregone conclusion. Did Jesus rise from the dead? 
Did he? Yeah? If your ability to go to be with God is based on how God treated Jesus. So whatever happens to Jesus happens to you. Are you going to go to heaven? Yeah, because Jesus did. That's the, that's the righteousness by faith road. It's not dependent on what we do or don't do. It's dependent on what Jesus did. Um, the problem is you can be walking on the righteousness by faith road and get cut off. I remember there is a, I forget what, what Olympics it was. It was, um, and I forget her name. There was a, there was a runner from the United States, I remember, running on the track and she was cut in on. Remember, and you could, some of the images, I forget her name. It was in the eighties, I believe. And she was cut in on. That's what it indicates, um, that now, you were trying to be justified by law, Paul writes, have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. You were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. The trappers were those who cut in on these individuals who were running, they were on the righteousness by faith road. And they got cut in on, and they ended up on the righteousness by law road. And Paul says, don't let anybody do that to you. Don't let anybody cut you off telling you that you're going to find God on this road when that's not the road you're going to find him. The trappers of those who advertise that road, angels will weep, weed out the trappers and the trapped. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when we hear about weeping and gnashing of teeth, that seems like somebody who is being baked alive. And I don't believe that's the image. And we, again, just very briefly, and then we'll be done. Just going to show you a, a passage from Luke 13. He says, make every effort, Jesus says, to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. One thing it says about the righteousness by faith road is that most people don't walk on it. And for some reason, because it, it, it's narrow, it's, you, you have to walk on it, you have to trust what Jesus did for you. It can't, you can't trust in being an American or being a Roman Catholic or being a Protestant or being a Methodist. You can't rely on what your clan is like. There's only room for you to go in through a narrow door, and the narrow door is trusting in Jesus. It's really the deal. And you have to trust in that can't have a mother or father trust in it for you. You're sitting in a seat. And so, let that seat, let that seat you're sitting in, um, let that be Jesus. Um, for, I've told you this before, for a long time in my life, you asked me, Mike, are you going to heaven? I would have said, I hope so. And if you were to ask me, well, if, if you were to stand before God in heaven and he would say, why should I let you in? What would you say, Mike? For the early part of my life, I would have said, well, I go to church and I am serving in the church and I, and I, and I, and I, and I. What does that say about who I'm trusting in? Who am I trusting in? Me. Now, that's not, let's list here represent Jesus. Jesus died for me. I came to a place in my life where I understood that he was offering something to me, a gift. 
And I needed to transfer my trust from what I did for him to what he did for me. And at one point I did, and it happens in all different ways. I came to a place of understanding, oh, this is what Jesus did. And I'm not going to trust in what I do. I'm going to trust in what he did. And I rested my eternal weight on what Jesus did. This is faith. I am resting my eternal welfare on what Jesus did, not what I did. And that's what the righteousness that is by faith road, that's what it's all about. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, it says, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. You are on the wrong road. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you are from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, for you yourselves are thrown out. Do you understand what weeping and gnashing of teeth is about? It's not about being boiled alive. That's not the image. And it's not what Jesus is talking about. That's inhuman. What he's going to say, there's going to be some who are going to be walking a road, imagining they're going to enter, they're going to get there, but they're going to stumble and be snared, and they're not going to be in a place where they enter, and they're going to go, but that's where I want to be. And then there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not the weeping and gnashing of pain, it's the weeping and gnashing of exclusion. That's what it's about. Those who are on the righteousness by faith road, there's not going to be weeping and gnashing. Why? Because they're not going to be excluded. That's what Jesus is saying here. Weeping and gnashing is not about being fried. Um, Watch out for everything that causes sin. Um, On those who focus on God's commandments, not God's commitments. In order to not be trapped, I I want you to develop two things. A good yes, we've talked about this before, I'll just do it really quick. Good yes, good no. Give me a yes. What? You need a good yes and you need a good no. Give me a no. no. Okay, then here we go. If you are on the righteousness by faith road, you'll end up in heaven. If you're on the righteousness by law road, you're going to end up in heaven. Okay, now we'll get a little trickier. If you pray 20 minutes a day rather than 10 minutes a day, God's going to love you more. No. Very good. <laughs> you know, it's a, and what, a, what was said before, if you believe that you're going to make God love you any better by what you do, there's another way. It's no, eh, off by a covenant off by a covenant. It's not the way it works. We've got a new covenant. Eternal life is a gift. You can't add to it or take away from it because it's based on what Jesus already did. And you know what the funny thing is? Here's the weird thing, and we're going to stand and pray after this. The weird thing is, there's people that are afraid that if it's a gift, I won't value it. That's not what happens. What ends up happening when you understand the road that you're on, it builds an ability to breathe. You know what you end up doing? You end up growing to like God.
and actually love him and love one another. You can't frighten anyone into loving. Can't happen. God wants you to love him. He will not frighten you into loving him because it doesn't work. He will try to get you to understand by faith you're included, and that will develop a softness and a responsiveness because you know what? The road that you're on by faith, you're going to connect with them, and you're going to be let in. Let's stand for closing prayer. I thank you for, um, yeah, for telling us stuff like this. So there's confusion, and I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. Until there comes a point where there won't be confusion. Angels will come and weed out of the kingdom everything that is not on the right road. And then those who are on the right road are going to find they're at their destination. Uh, continue to allow us to have a good yes and a good no. In Jesus' name, amen.